Welcome to People Mobilisation Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how to harness the power of your most important resource, people, mobilising them in line with the organisation's values towards success. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jagenba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this episode began his working life as the fourth generation flour miller and baker in his family. To complement his hands-on training, Stephen O'Brien completed a tertiary degree in commerce before undertaking further study with the Australian Institute of Company Directors. His combined experiences have allowed him to hold key roles with several listed, privately owned and private equity-based organisations. He has successfully led both food and beverage businesses in all states and territories throughout Australia. Additionally, Stephen has held executive and directorship roles with international companies in the USA, Middle East, Asia-Pacific and across the African continent. Stephen is now the CEO of Morton Co., Australia's largest privately owned beef cattle lot feeding, management and marketing company and a leading exporter of premium Australian beef. Stephen O'Brien, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Stephen, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your career and what you're doing right now with Morton Co? So I started my career many, many, many years ago as a fitter and turner. So I finished school and commenced a, an apprenticeship. Um, as a fitter and turner, um, and I worked for a, a company that was um, uh, very focused on training. So after I finished my trade, I went overseas for 12 months to experience overseas life as a fitter and, uh, and then came back and I was offered a traineeship within a flour milling but, uh, in the operations. And um, that traineeship gave me a real feel for the, the importance of of uh, working with people. As a fitter, I was sort of often on a lathe or a milling machine or, or welding or oxy-cutting, and you do a lot of things on your own. But um, um, I was a sportsman all my life, not great at it, but I gave everything a shot when it came to sports. So I loved that teamwork. So I got into this traineeship and, and took that um, pretty well as far as I, uh, I could at that time. In the back of my mind, I always wanted to get a qualification, a, a tertiary qualification. So... I, um, I decided at the age of 27 to go back to uni, uh, actually at the age of 26, and uh, I applied to go back part-time at the USQ in Toowoomba. And uh, because work was so important to me, I, um, I didn't do well at all on my first year part-time. And uh, I remember coming up to a, a lady up here, the council at the time, and I thought she was old, but she's probably a lot younger than I am now. But... Um, to say that, you know, ask her what I can do and how I can, you know, improve. And, and she looked at me and she said, you know, I meet plenty of people like you and the only way you're going to um, get through this university course is if you give work away and be focused solely on, on the university. So at 27, I gave work away. I worked part-time and became a full-time student in Toowoomba at the USQ. Um, and and I, did, uh, I did business, majoring in operations and HR. And... Um, from there, I that was sort of I finished my degree and that launched me into a, a management focus. Uh, for a number of years, I ran bakeries 
um, was baking bread and pies and uh, rolls, etc. Um, and I was worked for a company that allowed me to be, you know, to transfer. So I, you know, I wanted to be tra- to transfer and get as much experience. And that again was to find flour mills. So their bakery division was country bake. Um, so I went to Port Macquarie and, and operations manager there, and then I was sent to Mount Isa. Um, and Mount Isa was when I was 31, married. Um, Mount Isa was my first experience of being absolutely responsible for a bottom line. Um, Mount Isa was a, it was terrific. My, um, my father at the time, who was chairman of the company I worked for, always believed that you know, the best experience a young manager can have is when you're on your own. Um, and you know the buck stops with you. You haven't got HR. You haven't got finance. You haven't got you know anyone to call on. You've got to make decisions and you've got to do things to get through the night. Or you know it was baking bread at night or the day if you were delivering. And Mount Isa was a great apprenticeship for me. You know we um, it's hard to get tradesmen. Um, I was the the bakery manager, but I was also the sales manager and also the fitter and turner, the maintenance fitter. Um, so it was it was great to really understand the importance of people there that um, you just couldn't rely on anyone that you you know would knock on the door. And no one wanted to live in Mount Isa really at that time because of the um, especially as bakers bakers were on the east coast. So it really had me you know uh, learn quickly about how I can foster good teamwork. From there I, I went to uh, Darwin and ran bakeries in Darwin, and then I was headhunted to join up a big dairy company in Darwin. And then from uh, I was promoted in that company to go and head up um, the Victorian South Australian operations, just deregulation of the dairy industry. And from there, I was CEO, appointed CEO of USA for this particular company. I then came back and um, I, uh, I did a number of things. I worked for a number of companies. And, and then I decided I would get into a turnaround because I was very good at looking at costs and how I can reduce costs and increase market share. So I got into a, um, a couple of gigs for turnaround and they were tough emotionally because, you know, in a turnaround business, there's always someone who's on the receiving end of, of negativity. You know, usually um, in these companies that I, I led, um, they were probably poorly managed for some time. And, I, I, you know, when coming in, you had to make some pretty tough decisions and invariably it was tough decisions based on innocent people and those that that uh, didn't fit the culture, didn't fit their skills, didn't fit the business, or we had to shut down some businesses because they weren't profitable. And um, I did that for almost eight years. Um, and I decided that the last gig, you know, it was what didn't suit me. I, I um, you know, that whole, you know, rather than building teams, you're breaking down teams for the better of making a profit for shareholders who you know, sometimes, I'm not saying in every case, but sometimes they were the reason you were in this position in the first place. So then um, I joined Morton Co, where I am now uh, as CEO, in a completely different business. Um, you know, it's, it's a business that uh, is growing, a business which has got uh, incredible opportunity within the, the um, agri sector um, and a business full of remarkable and incredible people. The business Morton Co was founded 25 years ago by uh, a guy called Charlie Mort. Um, up here in Toowoomba, um, and Charlie has built, got to the stage and built the business to a level whereby, um, you know, he felt that his skills 
could not take it to the next step that he needed someone in to help grow the business from where it is was two years ago to where we want to take it within the next decade. So he appointed me and, and, um, and reached out and, and I became the CEO of Morton Co. two years ago. And my role is to, to build the business, to, um, to get it to you know, twice as big as it was two years ago. Um, and we're, we're on that, that strategic um, path now. We're, we're doing pretty well achieving our goals as we go along the path. That's quite a career journey, Stephen. You've uh, experienced the ups and downs of business from hands-on manufacturing all the way through to managing large teams. And now, as you say, you're a CEO of Morton Co. Tell me a little bit about the business. You're a feedlot business where you, I believe you, you grow cattle up to beef to sell on the market and you're one of the biggest in Australia. So we have, we have two... Um Two feedlots, we have one at uh, Pine Grove near Milmerin, and, and that's about a, a 9,000 head um, feedlot. Um, and then we have the, the largest feedlot in the Southern Hemisphere, Grassdale near Dolby, and that's about 78,000 head wow. um, at any one time. So today I think we've got 76,000 um, head on feed. Um, that is a lot of cattle. It is, it is. And that really is, is bringing the cattle in and, and fattening them up and then you know, when they get to a certain uh, weight to sell them to um, the abattoirs. Um, you know, so it, it's an interesting business that, um, you know, at Grassdale alone we're producing you know, a 1,000 tonnes a day in feed. So it's not just, you know, it, it's many businesses within one business. So we have a, a feedlot, you know, that's receiving and looking after cattle and, you know, and making sure that they're well treated to, you know, to having a mill, to mill the, the grain and mill the, uh, and, and put it in a blend and, and for rations for feed. As well as that, that we turn the manure, you know, so you can imagine how much manure there is, 78,000 head a day. So we're converting the manure now into granules that will use be used as fertiliser in the market. So that's a new business that we're, um, you know, we're about to launch. We've been doing sort of trials and we have a great interest in that. So they're little granules, which is um, unique in the market. It'll be the first of its kind in Australia. As well as that, we're, we're looking at other businesses. We're about to start the earth move, moving to to, um, to commence building other businesses, stock feeds and de-oiling where we get the, the cotton seeds and, and break them up and you know, extract the oil, um, both for the, for the feed, the ration, but also for the open market. So it's it's building new businesses, you know, which are very much aligned with our current business. As well as that, we've got a business, a stock feeds business in Gaira, and our head office is here in Toowoomba. We also have a distribution business. So we have about 40 prime movers that cart our, our cattle from our feedlot or to our feedlot and from our feedlot to the abattoirs, but also a lot of our commodities come in through our, through our own transport. And a lot of staff, I imagine. Yeah, we, we we probably have 250, 260 staff today. Uh, so it is a lot of staff and, you know, where our growth is that we expect in, you know, five years' time that that'll be around the 400, 420 mark of staff. So we're very much in a building phase. Contracting partners too, Stephen? I imagine there are lots of partner businesses that help you construct and and so forth, different equipment that you need to p- purchase. Yes, yes. So we, you know, we, we obviously have construction companies that assist us in building the business. Uh, we have incredible um, 
partners in our uh, supply, our, our cattle to us, people that we've been through with you know, since Charlie started 25 years ago, that you know, now their children are now supplying cattle to us. And, and then we also have grain suppliers, you know, that both small family operators to global companies that supply the different types of ingredients we need to for our rations. Stephen, tell me how the business has been running over the last couple of years. We've had COVID that's really affected lots of businesses around the world. And also there's a lot of push about um, green, living green, the the consumption of beef and the impact that might have. Um, But also there's been the growth of China and the middle class market there. You're not not bored in this industry, that's for sure. There's plenty of things happening. So... So I suppose we've all, regardless of where we live or what industry we work or whether we work or we're still students, but we've all been affected by COVID. Um, and our business here that um, we've had, to, we immediately had to you know, make changes to our business and make changes to our management style, to our leadership style, because we had a number of people having to work from home. We have another number of people that we can't afford. You know, we've got to feed cattle every day. We've got to look after our cattle every day. So. We had to put in systems and process to ensure that the health of our people was always front of mind and you know tested and um, etc. We're lucky in our feedlots that they're, you know, they're out in the open, and as we know that if you're out in the open, there's less of them, you know, little chance that you would get COVID. So, so we've been very fortunate that I think in two years out in our feedlots, we might have had two cases of COVID, uh, and that was dealt with immediately as soon as you know, they didn't come to work and they were able to. Um, at home. At the office here that, you know, we immediately allowed people to work from home, so we set up offices at home, and, and that's been great. And, you know, we were probably one of the first ones to do that, and that wasn't, you know, that was simply because you know, um, we very much, you know, want our people to, to feel safe and and, uh, and know that we're looking after them. And that's not something I've brought in either. That's something that's, that's been with the culture since day one. Charlie has always been about the people, always been looked after the, the team. So then I was just able to carry that through. So with COVID, we had to adapt. We had to adapt quickly. We had to, you know, I'm a stickler for people getting to work on time and working and, and not clocking off until the very end. And uh, you just had to adapt with it. All of a sudden, people were at home and their kids were you know, crying in the background as they were on Zoom or Teams or something. And we had to live with that. We, you know, so it's sort of, it was a change for everyone, and I'm sure in 10 years' time we'll sit back and, and laugh about some of the things we had to do and how we got through it. So that that became, you know, and, and it's still with us today. I, I read the paper today. There's still there's another, another worrying aspect of COVID, the variant of COVID that's on our shores in South Australia, I think. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what that means, but we've just got to be ready and um, be in front of the, the issue. Um, China, China is um, is very much so. We supply China; they're, they're a, a great um, destination for our product. You know, there's obviously a bit of nervousness over the current situation and political nature of um, between Australia and, and China. Um, but we've been able to maintain our, our relationship. You know, and I, and I need to say, our customers in China are just phenomenal. They love our product and they love the quality. We get on the relationship is very very strong. So, you know, any hiccups we've had, we've had a couple of hiccups. It hasn't sort of you know we found ways to continually support our customers and 
and, and our customers found ways to support us. So um, you know, while there might be some issues within the, the government in both countries and around the world that, um, you know, Mr Short, the customer and the consumers are still working closely together. There was a third uh, question you asked. Um, oh, yes, the climate. Climate, there's a lot of work being done around the world and, um, you know, there is the sustainability, which is about five years ago, I suppose it wasn't really um, spoken about much, but it's very much in our in our mind. You know, we're lucky in our business here that we've always looked at how we can be sustainable. So it's it's nothing new to us. It's now being defined. Safety of our people is very conscious that we only deal with ethical suppliers. Um, you know what we take out of the um, of the ground, we we try to replace. So we do everything we can to make sure that we're in front. You know, and we're, we're positive givers to the environment. Um, in saying that, we, we also don't go out and, and promote it. You know, we, we like to wear a pretty humble business. We want to make sure that we're doing what's right and we can sleep well at night. And if we're asked by our customers or the institutions or our investors what we're doing, then we have a good story to tell. But um, as I'm speaking now, we've got meetings today that um, we're announcing you know, a few things with a major retailer and we've also got uh, other meetings with regard to new initiatives to do with sustainability so it's no longer you know in the bottom drawer that we pull out when we need to it's very much a focus it's one of those discussions every leadership meeting every management meeting is discussed where we are and we have measurements that we put into place to make sure that we're we're not only meeting targets but we're exceeding targets and you know, there's, there's improvements along the way but we have to we have to because it's the right thing to do, but we have to because there's pressure on the world now to, to get things right. Stephen, it strikes me that all through your career, your discussion of your career experiences, that you're a people person first. It's always been about working with the people um, in the business, and it seems to be that way for you now in Morton Co. Was that what attracted you to work with Morton Co.? I, I met Charlie and... Um, you know, as part of the interview process and um, maybe through three interviews, I think, and and we had time together to see, you know, you want to sort of see if he liked me and, and we could do something together and vice versa. And Charlie was the first thing that attracted me to Morton Co because of the, he was genuine in his approach. He was humble in his approach. He was honest. He, he was willing to tell me the good, the bad and the ugly within the industry and within his business. And he admitted that he was vulnerable in that he needed someone to lead the business going forward. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know, humility is a very important part of leadership. You know, you've got to be humble. You've got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, am I right for this job? And, you know, and, um, and, and so the attraction to Morton Co. was through Charlie um, immediately. And then when I sort of met a few people from Morton Co. and I asked the, the questions you do from people who, might supply Morton Co or, or the customers of Morton Co. All I heard was great feedback and, and it was very much. It wasn't about um, the size of Grassdale Feedlot or, you know, the, the office, but it was about the people. That was the first thing that came to mind from people, uh, from, from people I spoke to, was about the people. So that was really what attracted me to Morton Co. It was um, not the size, it was about working with great people. And today we're talking about people mobilization tell me about people mobilization at morton co how do you get a project off the ground how do you get things to happen 
I think it goes back to we, we, you've got to have the right people on board, people that, that are wanting to move, people who are wanting to, to, to move forward, to grow, people who want to play their part in the business. You'll always have some that simply just leave me alone and let me do my job and I'll do the best I can. And you need those people. But in our business here, it's about who we have in our team. And, and since growing it over the last 12, two years since I've been here, it's been about you know, making sure we know where we want to go. We want to know about, you know, we want our company to grow. We know where we want it to grow. And even my selection process at the leadership team has been about people who can not only, you know, they've got the passion to grow, but they can also bring a lot of other people with them. So you've got to have the right people in the right position, doing the right thing in the right time. So we have a number of projects that, first of all, you've got to give confidence to people. This project is going to work. You know, you do your homework. You don't sort of put it out there as a thought bubble. You know, when you go to the larger group, you know, you go because people are really keen to be on board, particularly as they want information. They want to know what it looks like, not only for the company, but it looks like for them personally. You know, so you've got to have that information. You've got to be able to talk to them about it. This is what we want to do. We want to grow a, a fertiliser business. We want to turn the manure into fertiliser. And what does this look like? And why are we doing that? And, you know, what are the opportunities for the company if we do it? And what are the opportunities for us as individuals if we do it? And what happens if we don't? And, if we, and it's that communication with, and you start with the leadership team and then, you know, you take it to the managers and, you know, the managers take it to their teams and you have you know, constant communication with most people because our future leaders, you know, have to be on board for the way from the word go. And we're going to have four, another 150 staff members within the next three years. Now, you know, 10% of those will be managers or supervisors. Um, but the strength will be who we've got now and the passion. So when we bring people in, they've got to have that same passion and drive that we've got today. That's interesting that you're really picking up on not just what a project is going to do for the business, but you're mentioning that what is it going to do for you in the business as an employee? What's it going to do if we don't do this project, if we don't um, start manufacturing fertilizer from all this manure that we have. There's a lot of things that you're ticking off there that uh, even include sort of long-term strategy, you know, thinking about where that person and the business, but also that person individually is going to be in, in 10 years. That strikes me as a, a really holistic view of people mobilization and sort of long-term strategy. Yeah, I, I think... You know, our team is made up of individuals. So, you know, I suppose I lean a lot on my sporting background that, you know, you know, I, you know the, the rugby teams I played for and the need for us to be absolutely on song and want to play well. Individually, we've got to be on song. You know, if we weren't individually on song, then the team was going to fail and the same team was not going to perform as well. So um, as well as that, we've got to be caring about each other. So in our business here, you know, we've got... Uh, people who, you know, we, we, you know, have had issues at home and, you know, we've got to sort of consider those. So, um, you know, we had just recently someone who put their hand up, you know, they're in a particular field and they want to do law and they're terrific but they've got a passion for law. So we're going to work with them on, on what they need because we know that we'll be back, paid back tenfold if we don't do it. And what happens if we don't do it? They'll find someone who will do it with them. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, I'm not, you know, telling you now that I'm just Mr. Generous. There is payback in this. You know, companies look after their individuals. The individuals pay back tenfold. 
Because you've got sort of switched on employees there. You've got people who are not just doing the job because they have to, they feel like they're told to do a thing and they have to do it because that, you know, they get money for that job, but they want to do it because everyone's on that same team trying to achieve a purpose. Yeah. And, and not only, you know, I'll give you an example. There's a, a, a lady within one of our, in our livestock, so she buys and sells cattle and organises logistics. Over Easter, you know, we, we, we operate our feedlots every day of the year, Christmas Day, Good Friday, whatever day, because cattle have to be fed. So she took it upon herself to go out on Easter Saturday with a barbecue and cook steak, cook lunch for all the staff. Now, She's not a manager. She's not someone with authority that, to be able to do that. She just took it upon herself to say, you know what, I'm going to enjoy Easter on my own. I don't have to work. Why don't I go out and I do the simple things? And, and that's something that is exciting for me when, you know, people are thinking that way. What's, you know, what do I need to do to make sure these guys feel, really feel appreciated? You know, how I felt was, gee whiz, I should have thought about that myself. But, you know, it's great having people within the team we are willing to do that for others. And that's what we have in our, in our business is that people, they're not getting paid for it. And it may, be, may not even be within their job position or job description, but what's the best thing we can do for the team? How can I bring passion and pride in, in, in the company? Because the more you do for others, the better you feel yourself. And so that's very much part of this business, you know, the things Charlie's done over the years that people wouldn't even know about to help other people you know, and maybe not within the company. Um, yeah, and it's, it's everywhere. We have managers who jump into another department and give a hand because they know that you know, the short staff and so on might be not well or someone's got family issues and, and probably only running at 50%. There'll be another manager from another department that, that will jump in and you know, you're here on a Saturday morning who's out there drafting cattle. That makes a great business. Is that an unexpected outcome of good mobilisation in that staff are putting their hand up to help out to do things they're not asked to do but they want to do because everybody's on board with your team yeah i think it is i think uh, it starts there's no doubt it's it's it has to be led people do things to be recognized people do things and, and get embarrassed they are recognized and this this particular story i told you about um didn't work um but you know when I found out about it, I went and saw her and I said, you know, I heard what you did on Saturday. Fantastic. Thanks very much because what you did was represent the whole company, not just yourself. So she was embarrassed and she was annoyed that I heard about it because you'd rather no one knew about it. But it is very much, you know, part of the mobilisation of, of you know, to, to empower people to do it, you know, to, to allow people to do what they do normally. Um, sometimes having too many rules and too, you know, a PD is great, position description, as long as it's not restricted and people being able to do what they're good at or what they, you know, they can do to improve the, you know, the atmosphere, the environment they're working. At Morton Co., do you have a strategy or a policy about mobilisation or is it more about a cultural attitude? Well, we, we have... Um, we have values and commitments that you know we roll out, and we and you know a lot of our decision making, most of our decision making is based on those values, you know, um, uh, and commitments. You know where we hire, we, we promote, we discipline based on those values. Um, 
So we, we put a, a lot of effort behind our values and, and explaining our values and talking about them and, you know, and any chance we get, we talk about the teamwork, the integrity, um, the relationship side of our, of, our, um, of our values, you know, and that hopefully will, you know. So is there anything written about, um, about mobilisation? No, I think the values and what we stand for in our history. So one of the things I do is that, um, you know, any of our leaders that I appoint or managers that we appoint, even to the next level, I make sure they go for a trip out to the feedlot with Charlie because then they get a sense of, of, of the company, the history of the company and the passion and, you know, and as I said, when I met Charlie, he told me the good, the bad and the ugly and they hear it too in the car the days when he went home and said to his wife, don't get too attached to this house, we might lose it. You know, so it's good for people to hear that and to say, well, you know what, you know, this guy has done it tough and so on, you know, and that's, that motivates me when you know someone is, has done it tough and, you know, has showed courage, determination. You want to be with it. You want to do it too. You want to be sort of standing there in the trenches with them. And that's what I hope our team, and you know, I see that in our team all the time. People are willing to stand in the trenches and say, right, well, I'm there to help. I'm there to fight with you. Stephen, this has been a great discussion about people and how to move them. Would you be able to give a piece of a single piece of advice to our students when they graduate their master's degree and move into a leadership position? What sort of advice would you give them about staff and, and staff mobilization? I always say, and I was, my father used to say, business is simple. You know, and business is about people. It's about getting, you know, and the people doing the right, the right people doing the right things at the right time and being rightly compensated for that. So it's about building a good team around you. You know, if I was employed, if I, you know, as the, the CFO, look out of finance, we'd be in all sorts of trouble. So I need someone in, my, in every position who's better than I am at it. Otherwise, we'd be in all sorts of trouble if I was the best at any of the, the tasks. So it's surrounding yourself from good people, being humble. You know, people don't want to know what you've done. They want to know what you're going to do. Um, I keep saying that's the advice I give new people coming on board in the management or leadership role is don't tell anyone what you've done because they're not interested. They're only interested in what you're going to do. When they ask you what you've done, then you know you've built the trust. You know, so Joe Blow comes on as in charge of manufacturing. People really aren't interested that he came from where he might have come from or she came from, wherever she came from. It's more about what are they going to do? What, what's this mean for me? And once they build the trust and the confidence in that person, then they'll start asking about you know, are you married? You got kids? What did you do beforehand? Where'd you come from? Leaders, you know, anyone joining the leadership team are there for a reason. They've got the skills. They don't have to prove themselves. They've just got to bring the team along with them. And that's the team to report to them, the team they're working with, um, and the team that you know that'll be with us tomorrow and the next day. So it's about you know, and communication is key to any leadership, and that's both ways. You know, sometimes you've got to listen more than you talk. We don't, and we don't, we get taught, we get caught preaching more than we should. Absolutely. Stephen O'Brien, CEO of Morton Co., bring the people along with you. That's some great advice for our students here. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast.